Okay. Uh, any other movies that you want to mention this week? Um, we went to see Dracula, the, <laughs> the new Dracula. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, and it was really great. I loved it. Uh, how so? I never thought the voyage. I think it's called the Voyage of the Dement- Dementor. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's basically a it, it's an adaptation of one chapter from the book Dracula about mm-hmm. the way uh, the, the voyage from Romania to London, and uh, it it wasn't too horror because you know I don't like horror. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. yeah, no, it wasn't too horror. Uh, the only place I kind of had to squint my eyes because I'm too embarrassed to cover my eyes in the cinema in case <laughs> someone just thinks I'm a chicken. I squinted a lot was when Dracula made his first kill and it was quite gruesome and I just, you know, squinted my eyes. But it was a great movie. I loved it. I had so much fun watching it because I was in such a mood. Well, we went to a special screening on Wednesday night at Event Cinema in George Street and I was in such a cosy mood, you know, when you just feel like a really cosy movie about, you know, um, something so outside of your world. Like this took place, the whole two hours took place on a boat in the late 18th century, late 1800s, like what could be more cozy than that? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just so uh, formulaically good. Mm-hmm. I, I loved it. I thought it was. I had a lot of fun. It reminded me of Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, you know, um, kind bits of, like of it. Action. Yeah, nautical scene. action. You yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah, I loved it and mystical and yeah. That's the only movie I'd mention. But I can't mention any books because I haven't re- read anything that I can mention. Right now, I'm just kind of reading a lot of books about movies because I'm writing a book about yes. movies. So. Uh-huh. Yes, you are. Yeah, but how about you, Helen? Okay, so the past two, three weeks, I've finished three books, or well, not to count into the Chinese books I'm reading, but I want to do a quick shout-out of um, Diary of Voy, Crying in the HMAR. I think a lot of people have already heard about crying in the HMART, so I won't go into the details of it. Diary of Voy is a translator work from Japanese uh, writer who I could not remember right now because I finished that book a couple, uh, you know, like the beginning of last week or the week before anyway. Uh, it's about a woman who pretends that she's pregnant to get out of certain tasks at work. I don't know if it's because it's a translator work or in reality that it's been written like that but it, it's a bit to me it was a little bit tedious it was a very flat tone no suspensions or no anything it was just the sort of book that you read similar to convenience store woman yeah oh yeah I, I, yeah great book and it's a good read but it's just that there's no anything exciting throughout the whole book Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a. I don't know if that's just you know specifically for the tone of Japanese literary, but I think a female writers, I think also that they, in the past few years, there's been a lot of um, similar sort of book that has been translated, like per, the the woman in the purple skirt as well. I've listened that on the audio book, um, has a similar tone of it, just very flat, very straightforward. A bit about daily lives of people's choice and that's about it mm-hmm. but um one book that i finished uh about two days ago that i really want to mention is called ghost girl banana by wis walden mm-hmm. uh, this is a novel that divided into two sections which juxtaposed throughout the book um so the summary is about um a woman who is trying to confront her family secret 
and for which is forged by intergenerational shame and immigration as well so the first story is about suk in uh who is set in the 1966 she was forced by her family from hong kong to london to train as a nurse and send money back home her immigrant life is kind of like a case study for murphy's law anything can go wrong will go wrong and at the worst possible time unable to find work she didn't even fall in love she just fell pregnant with this really in this really i don't know if it's a strange way but it does sound like mm -hmm. it's like a usual way back then that yeah um you just met a guy and then you have sex and you fall in pregnant and you are forced into marriage um so this white dude who is named julian you know with a lot of shit things happen in his life and while that a lot of debt had piled up in julian's incompetence and alcoholism uh they had another second child and mm -hmm. so convinces julian that they should move back to hong kong for a new life and then you know a lot of misfortunes just continues in the life in hong kong as well while in contrast another section of the novel is about her daughter her second daughter who is now all grown up which is set in 1997 she has unexpectedly received a letter from a guy who just passed away in hong kong who left her this like half billion pound inheritance and she's trying to figure out why she had suddenly received this sort of uh, inheritance so she goes to hong kong and try to kind of discover her own identity and uh -huh. you know, find out what had happened when her mom was alive yeah i wasn't really intrigued at the beginning because it was a bit slowed but it does build up to its own momentum as you continue to read on um unfolding of the mystery uh the Wiswarton does create a good suspenseful ambience uh, the whole novel really centers on the strength of woman, the ability to survive in strange and unfamiliar environment. And also the depiction of the men are mostly terrible in the whole novel, which is very similar <laughs> in your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's not as much as really physical violence, but it's all sorts of those um, non-physical violence and harms that we see a lot in our everyday life and also on news as well mostly like um, alcoholism gambling womanizing um, inflating their own ego they're all being depicted as very weak selfish and then the woman in the story most of them end up taking the consequences of those actions uh, the book also the story also uh, kind of portrays like the biracial kids confusion about their own identity due to the influence mm -hmm. of their parents um mm -hmm. oftentimes we hear that with kids who are biracial they could also experience racism from their own parents so this happens in the novel as well mm -hmm. um, where a bit uh, like a colonized race you know the colonizer consider themselves as more superior than the colonized race yeah of course yeah, yeah. we all know this 
So that confuses the child and they're, they're pretty much the product of uncertainty of self-worth, possibly self-loathing, um, and also unfolding of family histories as well. Uh, I felt, I found that the book, the novel really did a great, the writer really did a great job in making you think about your own multi layers of mysteries in your own family. Um, I don't want to go and spoil the book, but I, I really, it really resonated with myself when I read the book and think about there are a lot of things that our parents have kept from us that we will probably never know and yeah. never understand the way that it affects them. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's a great, it's a great book. It, she, uh, Wiz Wharton did a great uh, style in storytelling. I really enjoy reading this book. Um, it really made me miss Hong Kong because the book. You've been? Of, yeah, I've been there twice. But the oh, okay. book is said, there's a part that is said, in, during 1997, which kind of signifies the protagonist's own disorientation about their identity, because 97 was the day was the year that Hong Kong was handed back to China. Yes, yeah, yeah. so it talks about a lot of things uh, about the sense of belonging as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's from me. The book is called Ghost Girl Banana. Um, can you identify why that the title is like this? Ghost yeah, banana. Banana is a symbol for an Asian person with yellow skins but uh, white interior. And ghost girl is actually a Cantonese term where they it's a derogatory term um, calling a foreign girl. As in Gui Mui, pretty sure yeah. that's Gui Mui, because Gui Lao is what they call the foreigners, yeah. like white skin, blue eyes, and blonde hair, because they think that it looks like a ghost. Yeah. Ghost girl, Gui Mui, is what the name that the protagonist has grown up with, you know. Mm. She feel like she's neither she's neither Asian enough. She's neither, you know, not even white enough. Whichever way that she, whichever direction she turns, she feel like she didn't belong. Yeah, yeah. It kind of reminds me of the book that I'm reviewing for the Herald, which is called West Girls. It's Laura Elizabeth Woolett's fourth novel. Mm-hmm. It's actually not a novel. It's more like a interspersed collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. And in the in the book, it's I, I feel as though I like I, I never like to uh do the lazy thing and link the author to her characters mm-hmm. but it feels kind of but it's hard not to and <laughs> it, it feels inevitable in this case only because she writes about characters whose uh racial complexities are very much aligned with her own so like her i think she's like half maltese half something else indonesian or something no i don't i think okay, so she's, she's a combination of asian and european oh. She she calls herself Anglo Maltese Indo West Coast person. <laughs> oh so God. she is okay. Yeah, um, she says um, so. She's from Perth, and mm-hmm. I feel like people who live in Perth have a very different sensibility to other coastal elites. Like I wouldn't even call coast. Uh, I wouldn't even call Perth a coastal elite kind of city because it's just like in the middle of nowhere and nobody gives a shit about it. You know. <laughs> um, 
but she calls herself Anglo Maltese Indo West Coast upbringing. That's what she calls herself. And her characters um, in this book, West Girls, it's a really beautiful book, by the way. It's very plotless, but mm. who cares? Um, it's very well written. Um, they, they, she kind of manages to talk about the different different ways in which she approaches her racial complexity, but also what it means to be um, not blonde growing up in Perth. Mm-hmm. So there are chapters where she just talks about the blondes. And it kind of reminded me of the essay by Alana Macy in 2015. Um, something It was called something like what it means to be a Winona in a Gwyneth world, in a world named uh, Gwyneth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's very reductive, obviously, because it's just distinguishing women in like women into categories of two categories of whiteness, like you're either a brunette or a blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, it's it's like it, it made me feel really bad um, for people who grew up in Perth who are not blonde. It mm-hmm. makes Perth sound like a completely homogenous city. And, and I know that's not true. How, like I how, have, how old I have, is the writer? I think she's in her 30s. And the book reflects upon her young preteen years. I mean, the characters, not hers, but they're all kind of like early noughties. And so I feel like she might be around my age uh, because a lot of the references she makes, like Britney Spears and like oh, other things I forget. Yeah, yeah. It, it was very much of that time. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's so great to see so many books these days where women get to, you know, talk about their racial different racial identities in a very like on their own terms you know yeah i think the hair color and the skin color has been talked about a lot for asian people in the west and also biracial children and going back to what you were saying about you know the the contrast of you whether or not that you fit in as a blonde hair person um the novel Girl, a Ghost Girl Banana, um, her sister is actually a fully blonde, you know, the character in the book is actually yeah. fully blonde and whereas she's black hair. So it must be so complicated to feel that your sibling has a really different hair colour to you. And in the story, she, uh, the character has, put, has, you know, kind of explained that my sister had always fit in in the yeah family, I in, think in this in the life of London where I feel like I'm the outsider even though that I we're know. the same family yeah in the way that um whiteness dominates any other color in this fucked up world um mm-hmm. blondes dominate the world of women yes also perhaps men I'm not sure what it comes to me I think men get get like tall dark and handsome is a thing <laughs> you know and blonde bimbos are now like you know Ken's yeah. But um, in the world of women, um, blonde hair still reigns supreme, and I think it's much easier to go through the go through move through the world, at least in the West. Actually, no, everywhere. I think it's easier to be a blonde than any other color. You'll get like yeah, you get it's, stand it's, out. It's, there's a privilege. There's yeah, a blonde, blonde yeah, there's privilege. a blonde privilege. Yeah, definitely. And um, and I was going to say something, but yeah, it's just like um, blonde is uh is like um it's a default of beauty well, actually default of acceptance a default of you know practically everything you do you mean default as in it's the superior yes it's superior yeah yeah, yeah i agree and it reminds me of wesley morris who's my just god I just, 
<laughs> he's God. I Wesley Morris is God. And um, he said at one in one podcast, he was talking about um, Diane Lane. You know Diane Lane? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Under yeah. the Tuscan sun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. unfaithful i love her so much so he he had a theory that diane lane never made it into like an a-lister because she's brunette because she refused uh, to dye her hair blonde and i was like and after that after hearing that i just kind of lost a little bit of respect for all the blondes out there because like in my head i just think well you just you're a huge star and part of it is because you have blonde hair yeah. you know like kate yeah. blanchett nicole kidman margot robbie um naomi watts just like um um yeah. meryl streep um Helen, helen mirren like all these a-list stars are just women who happen to have blonde hair and that's why they are a-listers wow that's very true i know that's why like i, I don't think any less yeah oh, it's I, like, I don't i don't think talents but you can't yeah like i'm not that, saying like, margot robbie i'm not saying margot robbie has no talent i'm just saying like there are so many other people who have just as many talents uh, and are just as good as act, at acting as she is, but she's not any better than them. Um, she just happens to be blonde. That's why she's so famous. Yeah. And I also, I also hated when I was growing up. I I always felt really left out because um, I would be around guys who who would say like, "Oh, are you into blondes or brunettes?" And then I was like, oh. I'm, I'm neither of them. And so I'm like automatically yeah. ineligible for anyone's. We're outside uh, of the outside. Attention. Exactly. I'm, a, I'm, I'm not even a brunette. I'm, I'm black hair. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about something. I should have talked about this ages ago, but um, just did never had a chance and to uh watching an SBS program about postpartum care for women after birth uh we'll be right back hi there if you're new to our show thanks for tuning in into our program and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time and if you're a regular listener we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty it has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation so if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. Please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue to advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. You know those we pack. Um, after I went to stay over at your place, I got one myself as well. Yeah, I know. And yeah. I put a, a microwave there, and uh-huh. it's just because it's like two minutes. Don't microwave it over two minutes. But yeah. I found it's not warm enough, so I put yeah. it up to three minutes. Uh-huh. <laughs> when uh, when Sean comes to the bed, he opens the 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 quilt, the the duva, and he goes, "Why does it smell like bread?" <laughs> so ah! It smells like a because <laughs> I put it so high and so yeah. hot the week nah, back nah, here. Nah. I love it, but isn't that cozy? 
Yeah, but it's really nice. It's warm yeah. for like at least three hours. Yeah, like, I, I wake agree. up sweating. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Well, right. we have an electric blanket, so. <laughs> I think I'm safe with the electric blanket, so yeah, we pack these for me. <laughs> okay, so we're back. Um, so this week we want to talk about something uh, about the postnatal care, the culture for Asian, mostly Chinese, I, I believe. Um, so I came across with SBS program Dateline last week. This was broadcast broad, broadcasted in back in June uh, about Taiwan's confinement culture for postpartum care. The reporting mm-hmm. state of the two different types of post postpartum care in Taiwan. Um, so for those people who doesn't know, do you even know about confinement, Jess? I do because mum yes. told me when, yeah, yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah. So in Taiwan, after a woman had, gives birth, she stays home for a month. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, for a whole month. And then her mother yeah. cooks for her. The idea being that a woman needs to rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it also like, is it also like a, a, a thing of like a woman shouldn't show herself? Or something after. Well, apparently it's a two thousand year old practice. I didn't know that it goes way back, like two thousand years old. So it's called zuo yuezi. So basically, you act, you know, you 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 sit or you remain at home for the whole month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it is for it is a period of rest after childbirth. There's several rules like you're not supposed to wash your hair. You're not permitted to have cold food. No baby. Oh my god. Um, you can't go out at night. You shouldn't have your feet bared. You know, you could need your constant wearing socks or something. And there's a very strict diet or something like that. So the confinement is pretty much to restore their both for the mother, health. yeah, the health, the physical and mental health. Um, so the program follows a couple in the postpartum center. Which is called Chan Ho Huri Zhongxin or Yuezi Zhongxin or you know the Mount mm-hmm. City Center. Taiwan has practically you know uh, capitalized on this bus- this business mm-hmm. um, of the culture where you know you become a healthcare institute where you can just outsource all those services uh, to someone else. So the center has doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, nutritionists, physio. Breastfeeding advisors and the team of you know all sorts of oh, professional. That sounds like such a dream. To care honestly. for mothers and babies, yeah. So the reporter goes in and interview a couple who just had their kid and asked. So the reporter is Janice Peterson, by the way. Yes, Janice Peterson, who I think she's half Indonesian or half she's half Asian. Yeah, she's half Asian. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all we know. <laughs> so Janice follows this couple who is actually not Taiwanese locals. They, oh, came they? they came back from from the US. So they're oh. Taiwanese, but they reside in the US and they came right, right. their kids. And to have this, the postpartum care. care for them. So the baby was not even born in Taiwan? I think the baby was born in Taiwan. Yeah, the baby was born in Taiwan because immediately you have to go into the center to have both those. Maybe I should have my child. I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you at the end of our conversation whether or not that you would choose this service. Anyway, go on. They have all this um, assistance for the mothers, where they don't have to have the baby with them all the time. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. Have the baby with them whenever they want, like ten minutes, five minutes, or not having the baby at all. There was one. Okay, part- I'm down. I'm down. I'm starting. <laughs> one part that I found a bit <laughs> surreal was that the couple was watching their baby through a monitor where the baby oh, was in the room away from them. Yeah, whenever that the baby is start crying or fussling and they don't know what to do they can just pass the baby to the nurse oh i don't like that i don't like that i don't know it feels like they a actually thing. take you know they have a proper rest yeah so yeah they anyway yeah um i don't know what the father does the father seems like he, <laughs> the father yeah, just watches the netflix yeah he was just sitting oh there God. watching nba and that's it <laughs> um so this couple choose to have this uh, this service by provided by the center is because uh, they don't want to have they want the 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 dad was saying that he wants to avoid a conflict with his own mother because apparently the 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 grandmother is actually USL. I don't know if you heard this kind of occupation. No, what's that? Kind of it's it's a woman who goes usually middle age or a little bit older who looks after uh the mother who just gave birth USL is the person that you can hire to live in your place for the next 30 days and act upon the role that supposed to be done by your mother or mother-in-law so yeah, she right for you she looks after uh, after yeah. your baby um don't know if she does any other household chores but you know those things that is traditionally done by the mother of the um the the, the woman who just gave birth. So mm-hmm. that's what they do, USL. So the, the mother was supposed to be caring for her own daughter-in-law, but the daughter-in-law chooses to go to the, the center yeah, yeah. to take upon this service. They don't come in cheap. I mean, it sounds of, it, it sounds, the, the couple was saying that it, it's almost like a vocation for them. Um, so it cost around $13,000 for 30 day service. That's nothing. Yeah, but it is quite expensive compared to the wages that they have in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's becoming more prominent amongst, you know, Chinese diasporas. They will go back to Taiwan to, to give birth. To give birth. Oh, uh, no, I, I'm, yeah. I, I would like to watch this first, but um, I still feel like not to shame Taiwan's health care, but I still feel like in Australia I'll feel a bit safer, obviously. Because also, you know, I don't know, I don't know a lot of most most words in Chinese. I don't know, so the vocab. I have the language barrier. Yeah, I wouldn't know yeah. how to express myself. So no, I'm definitely staying in <laughs> Australia. But this sounds amazing, and I, I think I'd have to go back and readjust what I said before about not being sure about the when you know a baby cries and you just ship them off to a nurse. I actually think, yeah, why not? Just well, you know, like. Well, part I think of a mother's sanity. I think a mother's sanity yeah. and health is the most important thing. And if for the first month she's not with her baby twenty four seven, that's not going to harm the baby in any way, in in my opinion. But mm-hmm. who knows? I've never, I, I've never had a child. I'm not like a, a midwife expert. You know, I I don't, I I haven't heard any studies that say a, a baby who doesn't have you know physical contact with its mother for the first month has any kind of detrimental start to their life yeah what about those premature babies you know they have to be in the exactly in the thing for yeah box for the whole month or something like that exactly yeah yeah Yeah, i think the sanity of the mum who just gave birth is quite important it also depends every mother's are different you know they might some might want to be with 
baby 24-7. Some might just need, you know, want to prioritize their own uh, sleep and their own welfare first. And no one say which one is better or not, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, this full service reminds me of like, um, I know that rich people get night nurses. Yes. So there's like, you, they get a nurse to stay with them at night. Yeah. Yeah. And to help them feeding with feeding and all that during the night, just yeah. to give the woman, the mother, a chance to sleep. Sleep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's definitely like a bougie sort of service. Oh, yeah. You have to yeah, have yeah. the money to. To get this service so janice she follows another family who goes through the traditional way of confinement so this time the other family the mother stays with her own family she stays at home and where she has her husband and dad cooks for her and she has like a whole team of her family members who come and help her with a baby so and the the couple is saying that oh rather than spending the money at the center uh, I would feel like the whole family is capable enough to look after the newborn as well as the mother. So we decided to have that money saved to use somewhere else. Um, I think it's just a personal choice as well. And those, even so that people say that, oh, if I have the money, I will want to go to the center. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. for me personally, like uh, when I was given birth, I had two traumatic birthing experience. Um, every time that I... Um, think about it, it makes me really sad, but I also think that it is important to share. My hospital experience wasn't that good. And even though that there are there were nurses and doctors who was helping me, there were even nurses who was willing to take the my baby away to let me to have some sleep. I kept thinking, I just want to go home. I just want to mm. go home to a, a place that I am familiar with. Yeah, and you're comfortable. And I'm comfortable, yeah. I think comfortable. Yeah is a very important thing because if you're somewhere that's outside of your own home, not saying that it is not good, but you just don't feel like there's a sense of comfortable. Yeah, comfort. Yeah, the comfort that you are supposed to have within inside of your home. And I feel like there's just a lot of barriers and a lot of constraints when you're living away from your home. Yeah. Um, So in the end, confinement and mental health, People that say that whether or not it is really positive or negative. Um, some people say that the positivities are you're getting well rested, you're having assistance from others. The negativities are some people might feel like some mothers might feel that they were trapped and under scrutiny yeah. because you're yeah. constantly bound with a group of people. If it's not for your family, you know, people will tell you how to look after your baby. Yeah, yeah. I think my experience. Yeah, I, I did have a lot of criticism from old mom saying that I didn't hold the baby right, or I should wrap the baby this way that way. That was a bit annoying. Yeah, during the confinement. I think one thing that was really really bad. I think for confinement, uh, in the confinement culture, is that you have to stay inside, indoor all the time. I think that's not really good for your mental health. Did you have confinement? I had confinement, but I didn't really go through, follow all the traditional methods. I mean, I still wash my hair. I still bathe. I still go out for walks because. Yeah, yeah. That's so important. I don't think I can, I'm not capable of staying indoors for 30 days. I hate, yeah, yeah. So I, um, I, I feel like there's 
Um, um, yeah, yeah. Personally, I I think the idea of being um, just in my home and just with the people I love is like a dream. That's all I ever want. I like I if I could just not have to say or meet another new human being for the rest of my life. I think I'd be very happy with that. Honestly, I I don't. I, this sounds so antisocial, but honestly, I've reached a part in my life where I'm like, um, I mean, I love people, you know, but like, I just, I feel like keep distance. I only want to give attention to those people I love and that's it. Like I'm very selfish with my love and I never want, I never, if I don't need to engage with another stranger ever again, <laughs> then my life is complete. I'm happy. But, um, but I do find myself wanting to go out for a walk every day because like yeah. I love being in, I love being outdoors. It's so yeah. important to my mental health yeah. and well-being. It's just like, I get I, I get such a high from going on my walks. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's such a high. Um, but yeah, um, the idea of being just alone with my baby is just so appealing. I don't have to talk to anyone else. <laughs> Maybe that's why people have babies as well. Like they can be antisocial and just make their own castle and build walls. Oh, okay. That could be one theory. Yeah, but people Well, have- yeah, I think I think um yeah, I think a lot of people are, a lot of Boring people have families just to make themselves interesting. <laughs> yeah, totally. There's also something that was quite interesting um, during the program was that uh, the the grandmother mentioned that the reason that Asian women look younger is because of confinement. <laughs> because we get all this, um, the herbal drinks or the herbal soup that we consume during the confinement and the com- because the confinement did you drank that right i remember you did yeah i did because our mom cooked it for me for yeah, both I, for both those for both your children uh, mostly the first one because the second yeah. one when i had my second child mom was overseas um mm. but because of those herbal drinks and also they had a proper rest that's what she was saying that proper rest after giving birth is very essential to maintain your youth or something like that well that's just stupid yeah <laughs> yeah but there is a reason why a lot of us have white skin it's because we don't expose we don't go out in the sun yeah. and also i'm like i've become so i've become so neurotic about sun exposure on my face like i literally never put yeah. I, ne- I literally do everything in my power and i look like an idiot you know even when we're driving or whatever i like cover my face with anything that's like i've become a mum yeah, I've become like my mum. I am so, I am so crazy about not getting sun exposure on my face. Like what I've become like an insane woman. That but is I don't so, care. totally opposite to what you were when you're in your twenties, because you're like I know where I was just like baked. Yeah, I was living in Bondi and I baked like for hours. <laughs> I just cannot believe I did that to myself. <laughs> What I mean, you- I don't mind getting sun on my skin. I just can't bear the idea of getting sun on my face. It's just my yeah. face. I'm very, very, what I'm you- really, really careful about. You know what? Why? What changed? It's because, like, in the last couple of years, I realized even when I um, put on sunscreen and I go out in the sun and I wear a hat, but you know, sometimes the hat doesn't cover every single part of your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'll come home after like maybe two hours at a picnic. And then I'll see spots on my face in the parts oh. in which I didn't get covered. Oh. So that's what I what's that's what has changed my opinion about it because I I've suddenly become so like my skin's so sensitive mm-hmm. that even like a, a tiny bit of sun exposure has led to permanent scars on my face. 
-hmm. So it's really at the end of the day, just a very purely um, cosmetic reason that I am so neurotic about sun exposure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'll be you need to be like our mom who always carries like a fan or a, yes, that's it. I carry a book or, or a hat. Or like I never go out. To have like a the. Uh, what's that? That was a supermarket supermarket catalog with her to cover her face. Oh yes, yeah. yes, she did. I remember. Blocks that. the lights when she's in the car. Like she has yeah. to block all the lights around her. I, I'm like that now. I'm like really? that. Oh, yep, I'm not kidding. <laughs> okay, um, so that's the end of our episode. Don't know where or why we ended on that. Well, yeah, I, I um, wanted to tell listeners um, you can watch the episode on Dateline on SBS On Demand. Yes. It's episode 17. It's called The Best Place to Have a Baby? Question mark. Mm -hmm. And it's only half an hour, so I'm going to go and watch it. Okay. It's quite fun to watch, yeah. Makes it, you remind you a lot of places in Taiwan as well. Especially oh, great. People to speak so in does Janice Taiwan Peterson go to Taiwan? Yeah, she goes to Taiwan. She visits, so she visits the family. She's actually sit down and eat with the family. Oh, why, can't I, why didn't they pick me to go? I'm Taiwanese. <laughs> At least I'm Taiwanese. I guess they didn't pick me because I don't have a baby, so I couldn't reflect on my own motherhood. That's a bit discriminative, isn't it? Does yeah. she talk about her childbirth experience? A um, little bit, like 30 seconds. She's talking about the bonding feeling when she first had the kid, but that didn't that didn't really talk that long. Yeah, mainly right, right. seen on the woman type one. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and give us a five star rating. I don't know why my dog is just is that your dog? My dog is that your dog doing something yeah. crazy next to you? Doing a down, downward facing dog. And facing dog, oh. His butt on me. <laughs> okay, so if you'd like to support what we do here at Asian Bitches Down Under, head to Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week, and we'll speak to you next time. Bye.